Hi, I'm Valerie Steele, Director and Chief Curator of the Museum at FIT, the most fashionable museum in New York City. Welcome to our Fashion Culture podcast series, featuring lectures and conversations about fashion. If you like what you hear, please share your thoughts on social media using the hashtag #FashionCulture. Please join me in welcoming Lia Kebede and Liz Wei. Hi. First of all, Hi. thank you, Leah, so much for coming to be here with us tonight. I'm very, very excited to have you here and talk about Lem Lem. Um, it's very, very, uh, it's such a, such a special company, and we're very happy to have you here to talk about it. And thank you all for joining us tonight. So we're going to get started, and I want to talk a little bit about the role of Ethiopian textiles um, for you personally. So thinking about growing up, um, what kind of memories early memories do you have of kind of traditional textiles and what kind of role they played in your life? Um, I mean, definitely growing up, um, you know, uh, we all had traditional dresses. Uh, my mom, she had like many, many, many of them and everybody almost has like at least three, four, you know, beautiful dresses made, made by an artisan weaver. And you usually wear it for weddings or um, uh, going to church or um, any kind of special occasions. That's usually what, um, when you'd wear a, tra you know, a traditional dress. Uh, for me, I have a special memory um, with uh, our traditional clothing because in high school, I started modeling when I was in high school and it, I, it was in Ethiopia. Um, and we started modeling with the two women designers that were that existed at the time in Ethiopia because usually the, the we don't really have designers it's just you go to the market and you look at it, you go to this artisan and he might have a few dresses or you could ask him oh can you make me a dress like this and he makes you you take it that's that's how it's done but then when I was in high school there was a few women who were kind of interesting and sort of forward-thinking who decided that they wanted to create this kind of design idea and hiring artisans and then uh, sort of drawing a more of a modern dress um, that then you can wear for weddings so you suddenly you're looking a bit more cool. <laughs> um, and I started modeling at the time with one of this wonderful woman who was doing fashion shows with these, uh, she had gone to fashion school in Italy and had come back and so she was drawing these very interesting new shapes um, and made by traditional weavers. And so when I graduated from um, high school, I commissioned one of the, she, she was really wonderful enough to gift me um, and make me a special dress that was all handmade by the artisans, but had this, it was like very body conscious and beautiful and I had like the most amazing dress. <laughs> um, and, and so I had this, I've always had, I guess, a sort of special attachment to to, to that and mm -hmm. a nice memory of it. That sounds really, I mean, so ahead of its time. Yes. Um, so, we're, so we talked a little bit about how everyone had um, uh, some traditional pieces that they wore for special occasions, um, but did you find, um, kind of in your own experience, you grew up in the capital in a very urban setting, were traditional textiles more prevalent in kind of the countryside or was it, you know, everyone kind of had you know, they're everyday clothes and then they're more special clothes, whether you're in the city or the country. It's definitely something that's everywhere, actually, mm -hmm. whether it's in the city or in the country. Of course, when you walk around in the countryside more, people wear it more daily. 
-hmm. So it's more their daily um, outfit versus the city where everybody's wearing workwear or uh, jeans, t-shirts, and things like that. But yet, they all, everyone always does have in their closet a few traditional outfits because you need it for a wedding, you need it for this, you need it for that, or Easter or whatever it is. And um, so, yeah, so it's, it's quite, pre it was very prevalent, obviously. And also you pass through the market and there's like all these, you know, we were sitting and selling their things. So it's very much, it's very common. And also it's quite identifiable, mostly in Ethiopia, they use local cotton. Mm -hmm. And so, and they spin the cotton by hand before they weave it. Mm -hmm. And so, it's all natural cotton, so then most of the clothing, the base of it is kind of this natural white color. And so you see, when you see a lot of people walking around, you see a lot of this white dress and this white outfit and you know, white um, gorgeous like um, headdresses mm -hmm. and things like that, but then with, you'd have like a gorgeous border that is either really you know, gold or color, or all those things come in as like borders and trims and things like this. So that was very much the traditional um, and also sometimes when it's like, you know, the church is a big part of Ethiopia and, and spirituality is a big part of the, our, our culture. And so every, almost every day is some sort of a saint day <laughs> somehow. And, and you'd pass by, the, by church mm -hmm. and everybody would be in this white outfit and the women are all covered in this white, you know, sort of shawl and everything. And so it's quite, it's quite beautiful. It sounds like an amazing, you get this amazing sense of occasion and yes. like this beautiful kind of background that sounds mm. absolutely gorgeous. Um, so, and you touched a little bit about this, but I, if you could say a little bit more, um, so you think about spinning and the weaving and the dyeing, were these kind of visible industries? You talk about buying in the marketplace, but um, you know, did school children growing up, people, um, everyday people, were they very aware of these industries and you know, had a lot of people, knew a lot of people who worked in them or was it something that was, you know, like today for us in this country, these are invisible industries. We don't really know anyone who spins or weaves or dyes. Is that, was it different for you growing up? Yes, because it, they're not really, I guess you wouldn't really call them industry. It's not a factory where you, you know, there's mm -hmm. people, there's, you know, you see them everywhere. And, or even at home, like, you know, sometimes your grandmothers or sit, will sit and just spin cotton. And so it's, it's, you know, it's kind of in your life a bit. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you, and they're also in the marketplace. So you see the weaver, he'll be sitting with his loom, weaving on the side and mm -hmm. things like this. So. It's quite there, you know. It's quite visible, uh, actually. That's great. So it seems a lot like it's more kind of based in the community. So I would imagine that people just in general know more about textiles and the way they, the way they're made and where they come from. They, I mean, they know. I mean, they know it's woven and things mm -hmm. like that. But where they come from and everything is going to be different depending on each ethnic group would have a different. So that's not obvious. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, you, people have a general idea because you you'll say, oh, I want you know, the dress from this ethnic group today, or, you know, you mm -hmm. do do that. So women mostly are aware to some degree, but not extensively, um, not, yeah. And I find that, you know, kind of in the research for my exhibition that in the past people really knew a lot about textiles and how they were made and what they're made of. Um, and today we've definitely, we're less aware as things, you know, kind of as the process gets streamlined. Yeah. So could you tell us a little bit um, about Lemlem and how you founded it? I know this is a really beautiful story, so if any of you guys haven't heard it, I'm sure you'd love to hear about it. Um, I mean, so Lam Lam started uh, from a trip. Uh, I went back home to visit my family, 
Um, and one of the places that I visited, I was, I, my parents are from the capital city, and so one of the places that we visited um, when I was back was uh, actually the marketplace and where all these weavers were, and there was a lot of push from the country and the government to really um, uh, push the artisans and push this industry and push manufacturing and so there was you know there were everybody was everyone was asking like you know what can you do what can you do what can you do about it and so I went to visit um, this area with all the weavers and and saw that a there was a lot of them and also b that most of them were not selling their clothes anymore or at least enough of their clothes to survive because you know most people were wearing less and less of that and wearing more Western clothing. Um, and so they, on top of it, so usually weavers will, you know, you, you, they sort of work by piece, so they'll work, what, they'll do one piece, sell that piece, and then go home and things, you know, th so there's no consistency, there's no like work, you know, ethics and things like that, and nothing secure. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I never really had any, um, desire to start a brand or anything. It wasn't even in my head at all. It was just really looking at this and saying, okay, what can I do, given my position, given you know, my, the opportunity that I have being in fashion and having access to all these different people, all these different media, what can I do to solve this problem, basically? So it's more of a problem-solving type of situation and saying, how can we, because really the art of weaving is beautiful. And the people who know how to make it, the less they make it, the more you will lose that art. And so I wanted to help preserve the art of weaving. And at the same time, also, I've been working a lot in philanthropy. Uh, and I know the problems of, of aid and sustainable aid, of you know, always needing to you know, raise money to find and give money to people. But for me, I think the best way to help people is to enable them and to give them jobs and make them independent so that they can you know, break their, the cycle of mm -hmm. poverty and help their families and send their kids to school and be employed and have a skill. Yeah. Um, and so that's basically the basis on how Lam Lam was founded uh, about 12, 13 years ago. So um, can you talk a little bit about the design process um, each season? Um, do you develop the fabrics first or the silhouettes first or just a little, just a little bit about that process? So we, um, we design everything here in New York, um, and then they make everything there. Um, but firstly, we always start with the fabric, because the fabric has to be woven. And so how we started is first we, um, we've definitely evolved a lot by working with our artisans and working collaboratively with them and l working out the limitations and the kinks and all of that, and it takes a while. Mm -hmm. um, and so our vision was, let's keep the traditional way of making this, but then we have to give it a spin of some kind so that a woman in New York could wear it and look, and it's seamless here mm -hmm. or anywhere in the world you want to be. So the idea was to, how do we uh, look at colors differently maybe, look at shapes differently and uh, you, you know, use their, we look at the techniques that they know how to do and use them in the colors that we want and the ways that we want. So we first start with the fabric. and. It's the hardest pro process, mm -hmm. uh, but we have a great team. <laughs> um, and, and so we get swatched, sometimes we get swatches, sometimes you don't really know, you kind of, you know, you sort of imagine it and then it goes and then when it comes back, it's like, wow, amazing and incredible. 
Um, and so once we have sort of the, the fabrics in our heads and the colors set up, that's when we start getting into shapes and then uh, bodies and all of that stuff. And you started with children's wear, which yes. is so nice. Yeah. Um, and it's great that um, you know you can start with this smaller market and then expand. It's it's very uh, it's a it's a really smart uh, kind of business model. Mm -hmm. um, so you were talking about giving it um, talking about colors and designs and putting a spin on traditional Ethiopian designs. Um, how do you create recreate those? To, apply, uh, to appeal to an international market? Do you have kind of a formula or is it like season by season you kind of, this idea evolves each time? I think it usually evolves, it's ar around, you know, things that I love, things that I see, things that inspire me, uh, shapes that I really like, I feel comfortable in. Um, uh, and then, you know, all the colors and all these things. But I think that at the beginning, you know, we were thinking more about, we had to first look at what, what are the capabilities mm -hmm. and what are the limitations of what, what we have. So for example, the fabric, it does, it's because it's hand-woven, it has no stretch. So then you have to work around that. So we said, okay, everything has to be sort of loose, so that has to be the style. Uh, and then we look at what are cool things that are loose that we can wear. And then because of also the weight of the fabric, and we have this very airy uh, fabric, uh, we gravitated towards thinking about resort wear and think something that you wear, like, I mean, I'm wearing one of them, obviously, but like, you know, how do you, how do you wear that? But then also, how do you wear it in the city? How do you make it cool enough to make it to wear in the city? And the, you know, so you kind of go in and out. Um, so I lost my train of thought. <laughs> Talking about like international markets, but it's great that like that you really let the fabric guide you. Yes, we had, you, you sort of have to, I think when you mm -hmm. work in, in, in something like this, you don't, you have to go almost backwards mm -hmm. you know like usually here first you're like oh I want to create a brand I want to do this stuff you know it doesn't mm -hmm. work like that you go to what do we have what's available what are the capabilities okay great this is what they can make what can we do with it that's different mm -hmm. uh, what can how can we spin it how can we make it cool and whatever else we want to make make it and then you know kind of produce it so it works the other way around so also like we look at other different uh, different art African um, countries and mm -hmm. we look at what are artisans doing in other countries? You know, what are the capabilities? Oh, that's amazing. They do this. Okay, what can we do with that? You mm -hmm. know, does it make sense to us? And and then you sort of work backwards um, with them. Speaking about that, so you started in Ethiopia and you've since expanded, um, working with beaters and crocheters in Kenya and Madagascar. Can you talk about and knitters? Can you talk a little bit about how you found um, these artisans and incorporated them into Lemlem? I mean, I think my you know ideally you know. Um, Africa is so vast, and every country is really different, and every country brings their own thing. You know, they have their own skills, their own uh, natural resources, their own way of doing things. And so there's so much richness there, and, you know, I wish, and it's, it's hard because it's quite challenging because there is no place you can actually just go and tap in and be like, oh, that's amazing, Ghana does this, or oh, Rwanda does this, I want, there's no place. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard. Um, you have to have somebody on, on the ground who's like going, looking, testing, mm -hmm. because it's really hard when you have, you know, a small group of artisans and you want to work with them, it's great, but then once you make something and then you say, okay, now we're going to produce and I want it by this time and mm -hmm. I want this much quantity, and then everything sort of sometimes falls apart because mm -hmm. it's not easy because they're not really organized yet, and so it's a long-term process and you have to create a long-term relationship with mm -hmm. the people that you work with 
And we also don't want to go in and do a one-time thing and then say, okay, thanks, that was great, and now we're leaving. Yeah. Because then you're, you know, you're not really helping them. Mm -hmm. If anything, it's, I don't know if it's worse, you know. So yeah. it's tricky. So you have to really do a lot of due diligence and really uh, work collaboratively with them uh, to try and find a way to stay connected and do more things with them uh, and get them comfortable mm -hmm. and you comfortable with what they can do and stuff like that. So it's a process. It's, it's definitely a process. What's amazing about that is that you are putting in so much of the work and creating an industry and all these places that other people can come and start working with artisans as yeah. well. So, I mean, you're laying so much groundwork to build something so much bigger than even Lemlam. Yes, I mean, I, for sure there was, one, I mean, one of my, you know, wishes when I started Lemlam was apart from just, you know, doing, preserving the art of weaving and employing uh, artisans, it's really also about, you know, kind of setting a trend and, and setting a, a, a model and facilitating it so that other people can come in because we do want an industry to get mm -hmm. created. We do want more people to be employed because that's how you're gonna reverse and, ch and really make a change. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, I mean, that is, that, that is one of the, because you know, we've all sort of, actually, to be honest, like I was very much inspired uh, by Bono. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh, and his red campaign and when they started doing that, they was really the first ones, they were really the first ones to start thinking of Africa as a place to make things, you mm -hmm. know, at the time and and uh, sort of wanting to change also this image of Africa and what is known as an, you know, what what is Africa and the image that it represents and trying to change that into actually a place where all these beautiful things are made and it's great and changing the view of people. So. Um, I was very much, I think when I was uh, going back to Ethiopia and looking at all the, the artisans, the Bono thing was very much present in my mind. Mm -hmm. And so I think it probably inspired me to, um, to, to, to go that way. Have you had any feedback from your artisans about um, kind of creating these more contemporary fashions and do, what do they think about it? Do they think it's cool? Do they think it's too different from what they make traditionally? I mean, we have a lot of funny sto <laughs> stories about that. Um, you know, it's, 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 I mean, it's tricky because when you go into something like this, you know, there are things that they're really comfortable making and that they're mm -hmm. used to making and there's ways that they look at something and they're used to looking at it a certain way. And so when you come in with all your New York attitude and your, you know, I want them to be like this and I want this to be one centimeter, not 1.5 because that doesn't work and things like this, it's, it, it's quite a challenge because they don't, they're like, if it's one or two, what, what's the big difference? And you're like, but it is a huge, you know, so mm -hmm. all these kind of things you have to kind of work out at, the, at them. And so at, at the beginning, there was definitely there was resistance to like, oh, they're in New York, they understand how it works, da, da, da. And, we, and you have to learn. Mm -hmm. On our side, we had to do a lot of learning as well and knowing how to work with them and showing them. But then what, what was interesting, what started happening was suddenly we had weavers who were like so in awe of this, of the garments they were producing, they loved it and they were so excited by what they were making, you know? Mm -hmm. And so now we had some, because we work with a workshop that's run by this one woman, Ethiopian woman, uh, and so we're not the only ones they work for, you mm -hmm. know? But then we had some weavers who were basically saying, okay, we just want to do lem lem stuff now. That's it, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> this is the best one. Yeah, <laughs> and so it's really, it's really wonderful. Um, um, but yeah, but it's funny. And when I, I remember the first few times when I went back to visit and I, and I, and I walked through the, the workshop, um, 
I had some of the weavers be like, oh, you guys are the New York people. Mm. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm coming in peace. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. One of the things I really love about some of the collaborations you've done with, um, you know, other fashion brands like Montclair, like Sonia Michael, is that you're, t you're like this bridge that's looking at these beautiful traditional things that you have a personal connection to and then amplifying them into this kind of international fashion world that you know we're kind of we see in the magazines um talk to me a little bit about those collaborations i know those are really always so fun to to do um i mean the montclair and pierre paolo one was kind of insane and beautiful and otherworldly um but also was the sonia riquel and we did one with pierre hardy as well i mean mm -hmm. it really usually comes from you know some of the relationships that i have uh, with all these, you know, these people and talking about what we're doing and really everyone and I feel like we get so much support also from the fashion industry for doing something that is, you know, sustainable mm -hmm. and that, you know, sort of is a feel-good uh, brand. So everybody's really happy to help and wants to, to support us. So, um, and I think it's also really exciting for, you know, the, the other, these designers to do something that they don't normally do. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then they have to work also with the limitations of the fabrics. And then how do they look at it? So they all look at it differently. And that's kind of exciting yeah. to work with them. And when we did the Pier Paolo, he totally just, you know, he literally just lifted off the, you know, the designs and put that on these incredible parkas. Mm -hmm. And it's like it gave something completely different. Uh, with Sonia Riquel, we actually used the fabric and she would, because they did their sweaters because that's what they're known for and we connected it with, so we made like a, a, a sweater dress. Um, and so it's, it's all these different ways and it's exciting because it is, you're basically bridging, mm -hmm. you know, cultures and views and opinions and, um, I mean, it's really, really magical and in a way you're, you're uh, erasing the divide and the lines. And so it's kind of, it's really wonderful. People talk so much about cultural appropriation, but what I love about this is that people are never gonna stop being inspired by other people's cultures and they're definitely amazing ways to do it. And I think, you know, this is a great example. So I think we have time for one more question before um, we take some questions from the audience. So I just wanna ask you about your opinion. Um, how do you see Africa's influence on international fa fashion expanding in the future? I know that you are helping to lay this amazing foundation. So what, what do you kind of predict for um, different countries in Africa as being kind of in, at the forefront of fashion? I mean, I think there's a lot going on in Africa right now. Like really, it's, 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 it's kind of really, really interesting time. Uh, I was just actually in uh, Lagos mm -hmm. for uh, Fashion Week, which was my first time. <laughs> oh, I'm so jealous. I want to go so bad. <laughs> um, and it was really incredible because you know, um, they, it's, it's, it's a fashion week that sort of embraces all African designers mm -hmm. to come. I mean, all, I mean, they edit it, obviously, but it's open to all African designers. So there was people from Morocco, there was people from South Africa, there's people from Ghana, there's all these incredible designers coming in, showing. Mm -hmm. So people are getting used to that, which is actually really interesting. I think that it's not so much only African designers coming into the West and impacting the West. I think mm -hmm. there's something exciting about also just locally becoming an industry yeah. for the local you know, cons consumer, mm -hmm. which I think is actually even almost cooler. Absolutely. And um, so there is a lot of movement. I think it's really amazing. I think one of the, I think he's Nigerian, one of the Nigerian designers, I think is up for an LVMH prize and things. So stuff is happening. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I think it's the next, I feel like Africa is definitely, I don't even want to say the next because I think we, it is now. Mm -hmm. I read an amazing statistic about the 
and like a huge proportion of the population is under 30. It's such a young country, it's so or it's such a young continent, and there's so much going on. There's so, so much going. Yeah, it's exciting. It's yeah. exciting. Well, it's great that you are kind of at the forefront of that and creating this industry. Thank you. Thank you. So if anyone has um, any questions, uh, thank you so much. So here's one. Um, where did the name Lem Lem come from and what does it mean? <laughs> um, so Lem Lem is a, it's an Ethiopian, the Amharic uh, is the language, and it means to bloom. And um, actually, <laughs> Actually, how it happened was uh, we had uh, we didn't know what to call the brand, mm -hmm. and um, and I was I felt like I was too close to the brand to come up with a name, and so um, I asked my team uh, to just send me names that they thought were cool because that sounded cool, that's easy, and all these kind of things, and so out of the names that I received from actually one of my designers. Um, there was 10 names, and then one of them was Lem Lem. And it, and it was funny because I, it stopped me because uh, my daughter, uh, her name is Rai, but her grandmother had refused to call her Rai and always called her Lem Lem for whatever reason, I don't know. Uh, and so when I saw the name on that list, I thought, okay, well, maybe it's, you know, sort of serendipity. Yeah. yeah, so we called it, we called it Lem Lem. <laughs> So um, the next question is, what inspired you to pursue modeling? <laughs> Changing gears a little bit. <laughs> Probably what inspires everybody to pursue modeling. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know. Growing up in Ethiopia, was was uh, the idea of modeling was you know very exciting. The glamour, the you know. Um, I mean, I, didn't, I don't think I really knew what I wanted to do when I was younger, but uh, uh, we had fashion shows that we were, like I, I was explaining earlier, that were happening. And also in our school, in high school, we had, for graduation, we used to organize these small fashion shows. Mm -hmm. And being part of that fashion show was like basically the ultimate thing to do in high school. Yeah. Uh, so we all wanted to be part of that. And I think that's kind of how we started, like this buzz of being, you know, it made you like the cool girl or whatever. Um, and then I saw what was happening in Europe and I used to watch like all these amazing old footage of catwalks, you know, mm -hmm. with the girls and in Italy and all these things walking and it was so, I don't know, it was so glamorous and uh, exciting. And so I, I, and I was really, really th skinny. <laughs> also growing up very tall and very skinny. Um, and, uh, and so, I don't know, I thought maybe I could try. <laughs> Did you ever, did it ever cross your mind that you might go into design before you kind of came up with the idea of Lem Lem? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> no. Um, what do you think the future of sustainable fashion looks like? Oh, I don't know. That's a really hard question. Um, I definitely think we are going into sustainable fashion for mm -hmm. sure. Um, it might take longer than we think, but I think eventually everybody's gonna go to that, I think. Um, but I mean, sustainable is such a difficult word because it really implies so many mm -hmm. different things, you know. For us, how I look at sustainability is working with artisans and making sure that their lives are, you know, their incomes are sustainable and they have consistency and they're cha we're changing their lives around, you know. It's not 
for us it's not about you know technology or materials or things like that so there's all these diff there's mm -hmm. so many different ways recycling out you know we're trying also for us like we want to use our scraps and you know mm -hmm. make them into something else and so we're tr you know we're trying to have zero waste and all these so i think everyone is really making an effort um to do sustainable things uh at the same time i think trying to be sustainable is also a very very expensive endeavor mm -hmm. and i don't know if people really realize how yeah. expensive it actually is unfortunately and so i think there's a there might be a lot of resistance because of that mm -hmm. i think the bigger brands will have a better chance at probably paving the way um because it really costs a lot of money to really be uh sustainable from top to you know to yeah. bottom kind of piggybacking on that would you mind talking a little bit about the foundation that's also part of lum lum yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, so, like, you know, I, I, uh, I was working on maternal health uh, before mm -hmm. uh, as a philanthropic effort, and, um, okay, more questions. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to get time to get through all of them, but hopefully okay. um, a few more. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things uh, when I was growing up in Ethiopia that struck me um, was that a lot of women were dying in childbirth, and it was mm -hmm. a very normal thing to happen in, in Ethiopia. And so when I was pregnant with my son, I was lucky enough to be here, and, and I had my, my children here. And so I saw the difference of delivering in a place like this and delivering in a place like Ethiopia, where you're basically wondering whether you're going to live or not make mm -hmm. it through the delivery process. Because um, at the time, we all assumed that women were dying because you could not prevent their death because it was something so extraordinary of mm -hmm. a problem that was happening to them. But actually, I realized now, well, when I was here, um, that 90%, more than 90% of the women who were dying were dying of things that were easily preventable or treatable, mm -hmm. but didn't have access to skilled health attendants or clinics or, you know, all these simple things. Because all the things that they're dying from are like very basic. It's like either infection or hemorrhage or, or having, you know, the baby's too big and they can't get a C-section. It's very simple things. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I decided to work with the WHO and um, uh, help raise awareness of this issue because it wasn't being talked about. Mm -hmm. um, and through that, I started my foundation also to work more on that and to expand on that and to do more small programs to sort of show how to make a difference. Um, and so we've been continuing to do that. And now we work with a wonderful organization called AMREF as well for the last four or five years. Uh, who uh, actually focus a lot on training midwives across mm -hmm. uh, Africa and third world countries um, to be able to, so you can have a healthy um, pregnancy and childbirth. And then for th when we hit 10 year mark of Lam Lam, we decided to sort of merge the foundation and um, the brand together because we also decided that it would be interesting to, as a foundation, work around our artisan communities as well. Mm -hmm and also uh, introduce our customers to our artisan community and what that means. And so we started working on training programs actually for more weavers. Traditionally, weaving is a man's uh, sort of job mm -hmm. and it goes from father to son is how it's, the skill is transferred. And so um, we're like trying to encourage more women to come into the, into the workplace that way. So we're doing training programs for you know women to train how to weave and then 
giving them jobs immediately after mm -hmm. and sort of trying to change, uh, change things around like that. We're also working in Kenya with a, a wonderful workshop as well where we're training uh, sewing and because really it's about helping get skill and then helping them get jobs and then I feel like that's how you, you know, you change their lives completely. Absolutely, just um, not just the person, their families as well. Yeah, yeah, so. Um, what is one piece of advice you would give your younger self that uh, would have prepared you better for today's world? Or perhaps maybe something, a piece of advice you'd give your children. You want to look at it either oh, it's way. It's so different though. <laughs> well, let's start with your younger self then. Uh, that's, I always hate those questions because they're so <laughs> difficult. <laughs> I guess maybe that even if you don't know how, you know, or, or which way to go, I think um, you eventually figure it out and it's okay. I think it would be something like this. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's good. I think, yeah. <laughs> I work with students a lot and I feel like everything is so life or death and it's like, it's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think we have time uh, for one more question. Um, so. I think this one, looking toward the future, what are your goals for Lem Lem? Big, big goals. So, <laughs> so, um, well, it's definitely expansion. It's mm -hmm. definitely um, growth. Um, we are actually very excited because we're launching swimwear. Oh, wow. Yes, so that's very exciting. All the team is very, very excited. <laughs> Um, and uh, it's really about uh, trying to create more and more the world of Lam Lam, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, is basically the, the goal. To create like a lifestyle brand. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. Made in Africa, obviously. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining thank us today. So <laughs> okay. Please um, help me in thanking uh, Leah oh, yeah, for a